0: So we find ourselves in John's Gospel. I'm just going to be thinking through those, uh, those few words from John chapter 20 for a few moments. If you wanted to follow, again, it's on page 1089, page 1089 in our Pew Bibles. But before we do that, let's bow our heads in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Apostle John, the man who wrote this account, and the man who was that other unnamed disciple running to the tomb. As John arrived, we read that he saw and believed. And we pray, Heavenly Father, as we read these passages this morning, we too would see and we would believe. For we pray it for the glory of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, well, when I was a youngster, I, I was rather partial to a mystery story. Uh, I think I probably started off about age seven uh, with Enid Blyton mysteries. Are they still current? Do people still read Enid Blyton? Look to, yes. look to youngsters? Yes, great. Um, Enid Blyton, all those mysteries, and then I progressed as I grew older through Agatha Christie and Sherlock Holmes and so forth. And I still love a good mystery, I think my favourite of all. Of course, has to be Inspector to Montalbano Uh, but I love Morse I love the Ipcrest files all that kind of riveting mystery stuff and you know today's gospel account of the first Easter morning is another riveting story but it isn't just a story this is history This is an eyewitness account written by that disciple, John, the unnamed man, the other disciple in our story. And this story, of course, is why we're here today. Indeed, this story, this short passage, is why the entire Christian faith exists. This short story is the foundation for all that we believe. It's the foundation of the community of believers, the church, and, of course, it's why this very physical church building is here. Just these few short verses, yet told at a breathtaking pace, with action played out at breakneck speed. Did you notice just about everybody's running uh, in this story? But what is at the centre of this mystery story? Well, the mystery is a missing body. The body's gone. Where is the body of Jesus? I've just got two short headings this morning, so my first heading is this, a mystery Uh, Mary Magdalene is the one who blurts it out first, first to her friends, Peter and John. She says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Then later, she blurts again to two figures dressed in white, sitting this time inside the tomb. They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And then a third time to a man whom she thought was a gardener. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Well, Mary Magdalene is a young woman exhausted and she's distressed. In the past few days, she's seen her friend and teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, falsely arrested, mercilessly tortured and killed by the temple leaders in cahoots with the Roman garrison, which was stationed in Jerusalem. She'd hoped at least to be able to give him a decent burial, to wash and dress his body with spices and clean burial clothing before he was finally once for all laid to rest. But the cruelty... Of that Easter morning is the body is gone. The seal has been broken on the tomb. The stone's rolled away and the body's stolen. And it's just about more than she can bear. And with tears streaming, she runs to Peter and John. And with their hearts pounding, they run to the tomb. And they find it's just, just as she said, the body is indeed gone. And John's detail as he fleshes out his eyewitness account, uh, is precise. He tells us who went in first and what he saw, even to how the abandoned grave clothes were folded. John is an amazing witness. Now, I don't think John would want us to remember him as a sleuth, but he solved the mystery at the tomb in that moment. We read that he understood what had really happened, despite his slowness up to this point with all of his friends to appreciate what the Scriptures had predicted. So what actually had happened? Well, Mary, as we read, was convinced someone had stolen the body. Well, who might do that? Who were the they that she accused of taking the Lord out of the tomb? Presumably, she meant the Jewish authorities. Well, you kind of wouldn't put it past them. The cruelty and the injustice of Jesus' treatment over the past few days were really not in doubt. There were false witnesses in a kangaroo court uh, which was held illegally during the hours of darkness... It was little more than a lynch mob. So, yes, it's highly likely, certainly in Mary's eyes, that they took the body, maybe as a final move to prevent his tomb becoming some kind of place of pilgrimage. But, of course, it cannot have been them, with hindsight, for when, over subsequent days, his bereaved followers started making rather a lot of noise about resurrection, the authorities could easily have produced his remains to debunk that claim in an instant. But they didn't because they couldn't because they didn't have the body so then who else might have removed it maybe it was some of the disciples themselves wanting to keep the body safe fearing exactly what mary had assumed had happened or maybe as a way of concocting a devious and false story that somehow this man had risen from the dead yes that would be rather neat that would impress the authorities but the resurrection story spread, and disciples began to be rounded up because of that story. And some, of course, were later martyrs. many of the disciples. So would you really die for something you knew to be a lie? Would you really risk arrest and a beating for propagating false news? No, it cannot have been the disciples who removed the body, for that would make no sense at all. Well, maybe Jesus wasn't actually dead. Maybe he had rallied after a few hours' rest in the dark in the tomb, in the cool. Maybe the Roman soldiers were mistaken when they thrust the spear into his side, when they assessed that he was already dead on the cross, so they didn't need to break his legs as they had the other victims crucified alongside him. Now, these Roman soldiers were professional executioners. They knew a corpse when they saw one. So a swoony faint and then a recovery in the tomb does not solve our mystery. There is one other minor option. Maybe they just got the wrong tomb. Uh, Well, I think that's unlikely. It was a very particular and brand new tomb. And they had been there, of course, when he was laid to rest. There is at least one possibility we can discount in our mystery. uh, And that's the notion that the butler did it. Well, there is no butler in our gospel account. No, there is only one explanation that fits the facts as mary was soon to discover for some reason she didn't recognize the risen jesus at first that sunday morning in the garden we don't know why but that's often uh, seems to be the way it happens with resurrection appearances maybe he was wrapped up in a cloak and a hood against the early morning chill or maybe his resurrection body was just somehow a little different from his uh, his sort of pre-death body but as soon as he spoke there was absolutely no doubting his voice He just had to say her name, and she understood. Rabboni, teacher, you're alive. How her tears must have changed in that instance, from tears of despair to tears of joy. It was like waking from some hideous nightmare. Go and tell the others, says Jesus. Tell them I'm on my way back to God the Father from whom I came. We're not told in that final verse when, whether she ran again this time. I rather imagine she would have done how tumultuous was her news. So, mystery solved. He's risen. Is that it then? Is it time to put the kettle on and wonder what episode to watch next? Well, sadly, reactions to this story are sometimes a bit like that. Oh, how lovely. How lovely for you Christians. How lovely for you to have faith. What a lovely Hollywood ending to a grim tale. But surely it's just a story. Surely it's just nonsense invented by Christians. Right, presumably the same Christians who might steal a body and then die for a lie. No, that will not wash. Because as we said earlier, this short eyewitness account is why 2,000 years later we still meet to worship Jesus. Why people have indeed died for their faith over the centuries and continue to do so. It's estimated there were more Christians martyred for their faith in the 20th century than in the whole of the previous 1,900 years. So you see, this is a story firmly rooted in history. It is true. And if it is true, it is the single most important event in the whole of human history. And if Jesus rose from the dead that Sunday morning, he is still alive to this day. So therefore, this story presents a challenge to us because it demands a response. And that's my second heading, a challenge. We have a mystery, now we have a challenge. It's a challenge. Why? Because this story demonstrates that death is not the end. It proves there is a life beyond death. It proves this life is not all that there is. It demonstrates the power of god over life and death and it opens a way for us to enter once again into a relationship with god did you note mary's uh, jesus words as he sends mary back to tell the good news to his friends he says tell the disciples i'm returning to my father and your father to my god and your god well to be able to call god father is something of a quantum leap for mankind. This is no longer a remote God, a God to be appeased, a God who might strike us down at any moment. Yes, he is a God whose commands we need to obey, but not in the sense of a tyrant, but rather in the sense of a father who forgives us, who loves us, who guides us, and who wants the best for us. And he is now our father. Elsewhere, you'll know the scriptures refer to him as Abba. It's an Aramaic word meaning daddy. And it's Jesus' death and resurrection that has made that possible. How? Well, by dealing with the sin and the waywardness and the human failings that separate us from God. You see, God dwells in holiness. He is perfect. And he looks for you and I to be perfect also. Whereas, of course, our earliest natural instinct is to go our own way and rebel against his authority over our lives. But Jesus dealt with all that on the cross. He took the punishment that should have been ours. He opened a path of forgiveness and healing that binds us back to the God who created us. It cost him his life. But he was able to overcome death to be able to return to his Father in heaven. That is where he sits, even now, still offering forgiveness, a pardon, and peace to any and all who would call upon him. So he also asks of us, Will you? Will you now love and serve me for the rest of your days? I've bought you back from death at great cost. Will you now just carry on as if nothing had happened? Will you live your life as if it makes no difference? Or will you commit yourself to following me, to serving me, to holding me dear in your heart for the rest of your days? For, in the words of the hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let us pray.